Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. The World Cup is less than three weeks away. The IPL is over and we now know who will be contesting the Lord's final exciting times. I'm Yaz Ron and this week I'm joined by my fellow Wisdom hip young gunslinger, Ben Gardner. Hi Ben, how are you? I'm not too bad, Yaz, how are you? I'm really Bit good. Of cold. It's good to be in Canterbury though. I've never been here before. Yeah, really nice. So many stony walls. It's actually a really, really impressive yeah, very place. pretty city. Yeah. Um, and the reason why we're here in Canterbury is because we're with Kent and Australia's Matt Renshaw, the first Test Match Centurion to appear on this podcast. That is a real accolade. Good well, to have you on. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Yeah. Um, another hip young gunslinger. Yeah, another hip young gunslinger. So let's get stuck in. Matt, what was your moment of the week? Uh, my moment of the week, yesterday I went to Craven Cottage and watched Newcastle Fulham. Um, <laughs> Newcastle won 4-0. I'm a Newcastle supporter, so that's why it's moment of the week. And I was videoing a corner and Newcastle scored when I was videoing it. So I've got my own personal video of goal. That's quite cool. Um, this is a cricket podcast. Um, uh, cricket. Any, any, any cricket happen in your life in the last week? Um, oh, we haven't played in the last week, but um, probably I watched Joss Butler's innings the other day. Yeah. And that was pretty special to watch. So He does it every single time, doesn't yeah. he? It's bonkers. I remember I was over in 2014 and he got that 100 at Lords against Sri Lanka in the one day. And I was there at the game and that was pretty special to watch as well. So. Was that the one with the man cad? Is that right? Same that? series as that one. He got 100 at Laws. That was his first ODI right, 100. Right, yeah, that was yeah. one where it was really close at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, sort of like his announcement. Josh Butler scored a 50-ball 100. Um, he's quite good. He makes six-hitting look so easy. So as England fans, I think we get spoiled about how, how good he is. Owen Morgan said this week that the uh, gaps in between these freak Butler performances are becoming smaller and smaller. Um, are you, do you get like a bit jealous watching somebody hit the ball to the... Into the stands so, yeah, so regularly. Bowling wide Yorkers and he's hitting him over mid off for six. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, I'll be leaving them. Um, no, he's he's a, a serious player and a bit worried about the World Cup with him there in form. Well, there've been two ODIs so far. The first one was uh, being played as we recorded last week's podcast. It was washed out after the 19 overs. Joffre Archer bowled four overs of express pace with control and with movement. He impressed so much that he was left out of the second ODI. Seemingly, the selectors have gone. Well, we've seen enough. That's all done and dusted now. Archer will be in that 15-man squad, won't he, Ben? Yeah, I guess so. The question is just who who they leave out. Will it be, like, which of the quicks will it be? Will it be any? Will they leave out Joe Denley? Um, I don't really know which way I'd go at this point. I'd probably leave until the end of the series, but I guess what they'll do as well. But, yeah. If you had to pick now, who would it be? Uh, it would be Liam Plunkett. Oh. I mean, David Willey bowled very well, I thought. 
his stock definitely rose in that last ODI. Yeah, I guess the thing is, is with a squad and a fast bowling unit, to use that word, uh, you're looking for people who answer different questions at different times. I think David Willey, although he might not be as good a one-day bowler as Plunkett, he does answer different questions. So he'd like you can see more times he might be selected over Plunkett, whereas... Plunkett doesn't have maybe a niche anymore, I guess. Pakistan looked quite good. They had England worried. Um, Fakir Zaman hit 130-odd. He looked brilliant. He loves playing in England. He was uh, brilliant in the Champions Trophy two years ago. Um, and a player who you might not have heard or seen much of before, Asif Ali, kept things very interesting at the end. Ben, he's not in the 15-man squad, but do you think that there's... Um, do you think he will be? Well, there's definitely an argument. I mean, that's where Pakistan have really struggled. They've got a really good consistent top order Imam al-Haq has been really consistent as has I mean Fakazaman is the one who's really aggressive but he's like obviously doing it at the beginning and you need someone to finish it off and then Babra's Zam so they're getting really really good starts they just don't have anyone really who's kicking it on and taking it into those sort of those really really huge totals so although he's not like he's n- not that consistent he is that player who can maybe turn it on and get them to like 350 scores which might be needed to hmm. get you into the, the semi-finals of the World Cup so I think he maybe should be. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Mohamed Amir as well, who's... He's so, got chicken pox. Yeah, exactly. So he missed the second game. Looks like he's going to miss the third game with chicken pox. And he's not. He's also not in the original squad mm. and sort of needed to impress and is going to get maybe two games to do it. And we could have a World Cup without Mohamed Amir, which is amazing thinking that when he was here for the Champions ago. Trophy yeah. yeah, and was bowling him to victory in the final. It's, yeah. I thought you made a really good point on the train over here that when teams get 350 an innings feels so long so like Roy hits 60-70 and by the end of the innings you've totally forgotten it um, and I think that with Pakistan that even after Fakir Zaman's innings they were still so far away from England's total they needed something somebody like Asifa Ali to come in and basically take the bat on and continue the uh, the run chase in the vein that Zaman was playing in um, have you guys seen the video on Twitter that's got Pakistan Twitter very annoyed? There's a video of Liam Plunkett kind of scratching away at the ball. Lots of people. Yeah, I saw very it. happy about this. Yeah, didn't didn't really like come to an opinion on whether he was or not, but people seem to think he wasn't. So, I mean, it seems probably not like the best the best way to to do it. I don't really know. It didn't seem like he was doing that much force. Well, I mean, the ICC have said there was nothing yeah, to sure, go yeah. on. So, I think that's, that's pretty well, I, much I, I guess the, said, one, the eh? one thing that's maybe interesting in it is that you don't often get players from the home team showing up on the cameras. They'll show the away side and they won't show the home side doing it if, if they ever are. And it's almost like the power is in the people who hold the cameras and their bills are being paid by the host boards. They don't want to do something that upsets them. Yeah. Uh, but this this is an instance of, of Sky doing it, even though it's the ECB who are, who are paying the bills. So I guess there's a tiny bit of interest there, but I don't think he's done anything. Also, don't really mind about ball tampering in general. So You don't mind about ball tampering? Well, I mean, I mean... I think it makes for exciting cricket is the thing. So I think it's not, it's not a huge crime if he has anything and I don't think he has. I mean, we're going to talk about it later, but since you brought up ball tampering now, um, Matt, you played in the test match after the ball tampering scandal. Um, there's an amazing photo of you on Twitter arriving at the airport after the, when you've been called up to the squad and you look like the happiest person alive because obviously you've just got an Australia call up. For you, that would have been an amazing opportunity, right? Coming into test side, opportunity to cement your place in the side what was the dressing room like in that time because it must have been pretty you know dejected atmosphere elsewhere must have been a very weird time i don't know where that photo is i've not i've never seen that photo but um no i I wouldn't say i was happy i was a a weird sort of time to be a a cricketer and especially to go over there at that time was 
probably one of the most interesting things in my my small career at the moment. But um, no, it was it was just a really weird feeling around the group. We still had one test match to play, but it was so everyone was so down from the last couple of weeks that sort of made everything a bit weird. We had the three guys miss out, then Darren Lehman stood down the day before the game, and and so we're all a bit just like everything else was going on and then there was just cricket in the background as well was it hard to concentrate and prepare yourself properly for a test match i was i was exhausted um I was in jet lagged, right yeah, yeah i was i flew in two days before the game started had one training session and then i was i was had a few sleeping pills and a few red bulls to try and keep me going but i was so exhausted i was i think i was going to bed about 8 30 every night just i was i was so tired we i played five a five day game literally three days before that as well so it was. I was coming off a, a big couple of months, and then going into that was was something else as well. Was that was that the Shield final that you just played? Yeah. Yeah, we we won the Shield final, and I flew out that night. And you got runs in that, right? Um, yeah, at ED, I think in the second innings, yeah. not out. So yeah, must must especially because that that was, I guess, an odd season for you in a way that you started it like so. You, so you'd had the tours in India and Bangladesh where you sort of like people had been impressed, but you'd been like like I don't know, maybe gone into shell a bit. I feel like you said in the past and then you started that season didn't get that many runs but it feels like the Sheffield Shield is it's like almost like two seasons you've got like the five games at the beginning or whatever and the five games at the end and you've got like five games basically to do something and if you don't then like you're struggling to get picked and it just feels like such a high pressure competition in that way yeah it's because you've only got 10 games yeah. you've got um so five before Christmas then big bash during Christmas and then five after and then potentially a final it's it's all pretty full-on and and you're, you're trying to score runs it just sometimes doesn't work and and I think that's the I think that's the beauty of the competition is how tough it is because there's only six sides like obviously Canterbury you've got a lot more sides and and that brings another challenge in itself but having six sides and, and playing 10 games a season is is a big challenge so do you think the standard is higher over there because you've got all the talent I guess condensed between the teams I wouldn't say the standard's higher it's just a bit more compact and, and you've got the when you've got test guys away then that's when the you really need a good strong squad but no the the challenge here as well is the fact you play so much cricket um I remember with the one day as we had day on travel day on travel you wouldn't have that in Australia because there's so few teams you have a bigger bigger break between games i mean we're talking about it so we might as well talk more in depth about uh, what it's like playing in australia and what it's like playing in the uk there's a lot is made about australian cricket culture and how you know the, the great cricketer on twitter and facebook they're great and a lot is made about like the, the chat the banter horrible word that you get in australia cricket is it how does it compare between uh, a grade cricket and then professional australian cricket and then county cricket here um, well, grade cricket for me was always a lot of fun because I was always the smallest and youngest guy. So whenever I came up against a team, if they took a bit long to get me out, they'd start sledging me and and just the standard sort of stuff because I was so young. That I think the best one I ever got was, um, what did your mum and dad pack you for lunch today? And um, what flavour flavor orange juice did you get? Or what flavour juice did you get today? Um, Where's the punchline? Yeah, I was, I was sort of just like, oh, I'd just got like orange or something i can't, I can't remember like it being too I, was, I think i was 14 or 15 so yeah. it wasn't too crazy but um no it so you you sort of come up through that and then you play shield cricket where you've got some of the best players in the world and and obviously the standard's pretty pretty strong and and people are playing for for their spots and there's obviously a bit of tussle here and there if you get a couple of sort of guys going at each other which is 
at times can be fun at times if it gets a bit too personal then obviously everyone sort of takes a step back and and no one wants to cross that personal line I've, for, for me the there's a line and, and as soon as you get personal that's when you sort of need to take a step back but if you're trying to put someone off the the point of sledging is to put someone off what they're trying to trying to do they want you to th- they want you to think something that you shouldn't and I think that's where sledging is is really good and if you're trying to get them to do that whereas if you start going at someone's personal family that's when I think you should draw the line has it ever got personal in involving you or have you seen it get personal I guess um I've I've seen it a little bit not too much but it's it's just if people get fired up and and two people are going at each other it's it's sort of that ego where you've got to try and outdo someone but um no I think I think generally the the line's pretty good and 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 everyone knows each other pretty well because you've only got the six teams and everyone knows each other you've played against each other plenty of times now where you can sort of go okay like sometimes it's even two mates just going at each other because it's it's just fun and also i guess from an outsider's perspective they just see two professional creators have you go at each other but they don't know that they're actually mates and they're not taking themselves that seriously yeah definitely when you were younger when you were 14 and people were asking you what your parents had packed you for lunch do you reckon experiences like that not that specific example does that toughen you up for when you then go on to play professional cricket and then playing for australia yeah i think so i think that that definitely helped it's i always seem to get in and being sort of my personality quite outgoing you generally get a little bit of that here and there anyway but um no it's it's i think it's quite enjoyable if someone's sort of trying to sledge me and um sometimes gets me in the fight a lot a lot more than probably if no one was saying a word to me anyway do you give much back um, not when I'm batting. Um, I try not to when I'm batting because I'm trying to think about my batting. But if I'm if I'm fielding and someone's given me a couple, I I'll, I won't forget it very quickly. Okay. And is is that is that line how universal a thing you think that is? I, mean, I guess especially in England, is it, is it sort of the same where people will try and get in someone's head from like a like a game point of view, but they won't go to a person sort of thing or do you think the sledging culture is completely different between here and Australia uh, I think it's all all pretty similar wherever you play cricket it's it's people trying to get each other out whether that's the bowler or the fielders and um, you're going to try and do everything you can to, to stop the, the batsman screen run so you're going to throw a little bit here and there but I think it's all pretty similar around the world on the subject of your concentration like when, when you're batting there was something you said in an interview last year with Wisdom Cricket Monthly that you like sing a song in your head between deliveries i think at that point it was something by childish gambino what what what's the song at the moment um there's no real song at the moment it's just whatever i'm listening to before i go out to bat i've been i've been batting three at the moment for for kent which has been another different sort of challenge for me but um waiting to bat obviously i've got i've tried to put some music on in the background and so it's just on shuffle and and anything that comes on if that sticks i'm sort of like okay just keep looping that over has there ever been one that you're like, I wish it wasn't this song? Or like, I think I had Abba um, comes on just before you come up to bat. I think I had Umbop one day and I was just <laughs> like, oh, this is terrible. How old are you? You're still 23? 23. 23. But one of your career highlights is um, you scored a 50 in a test match in India. Yeah. Um, and we're talking about different cultures and how, you know, in Australia, people might see some things in a different way and their attitude might be different. Um so we've we've got to talk about it. So you had a little incident, right? When you when you're out to bat. Yeah. Um talk talk us through. You what, what were you thinking at the time? Um I was thinking where's the closest to <laughs> Um at that point I was sort of thinking I should start a petition where there's a portaloo at every <laughs> sort of at the edge of the field just so you can just go off if you need the toilet. But um no, it's it's uh 
It's a quite a funny story. It's part of me wishes it never happened. Part of me wishes I might have stayed out there and seen what happened. That, that would have been so much worse. I think it would have been worse, <laughs> but I think the story would have been a lot better. Like rather rather than just running off to go to the toilet, you you stay out there and you keep batting, and then all of a sudden it just comes down. How, how close were you to an on-field incident? Very close. Um, <laughs> I was running off, and it was weird because we just lost a wicket. I think at the end of the over, I probably was going to go anyway, but the fact we lost a wicket and Steve Smith was walking out to bat, Sean Marsh was up in the dressing room thinking he was next in and I just start running off the field and, and he's sort of padding up quickly, run, running on the field as well. We sort of lose two for none there, if you think about it. And and I just remember going, I need to go to the toilet and everyone was sort of just like, well, what? Like, what do you... I'm like, mate, I, I need to go. Can I retire hurt? And I've run round. I still remember in Pune, you run round and our dressing room was on the right. India's was on the left. So I ran round and then it was sort of like this little zigzag through to get to the toilet. And when you get to the toilet, there's tiles. And I'd forgotten this in my sprinting. I need the toilet. And I was ripping my pads off, like ripping everything off. And I get to the tiles and just slip over oh. and land. land. I'm just like... I just got up straight away like didn't even think about it and it was just like I just need the toilet that that's extraordinary that's an incredible story so I mean I, I oh, sorry well, very quickly what did you tell the umpire when you were running off I said I, can I retire her <laughs> and he was like you can retire and I'm like no no can I retire her because obviously if I retire I'm out yeah. I'm like no I, I'm, I can't have that I'm, I'm not going to be if I had to retire out I would probably you would have yeah. seen a lot more than just me <laughs> running off um and then I was just like, as soon as he said, yes, you can retire her, and I was gone. And then Smithy's like, no, no, come back. I'm like, Smithy, this is, this is really important that I run. <laughs> and he was like, okay, go then. And I think he was quite angry at me just because he was so confused about what was going on. And then I just bolted. Ben, do you have some of the reactions well, from around yeah, the world? So I, was, I, was, I was reading this, like just the quotes again today. So the, what, my favorite reaction is actually uh, Sanjay Banger, who's the, uh, the Indian batting coach said that uh, things like that really uh, add to the colour of Test cricket, which is quite a literal description of what would have happened if you stayed out there. Uh, but just the, the reaction from some of the, I guess, the ex-Aussie players, basically saying that you should have just stayed there and shit yourself, basically. So Alan Border saying whatever, like, I hope he's, I hope he's half dead in there. And that sort of thing. It's just, it just seems like... And like I remember we were all watching this thing like, oh, yeah, kind of understandable. And then you see that, and it's like, I just, that, that reaction just... I just couldn't couldn't fathom it basically like what i guess what did you make of the reaction and do you think like that almost like is, is there something deeply australian in that sort of reaction or is it just a couple of people who no i think themselves? i think if i'd have um if i'd have stayed out there it probably would have would have maybe people might have had a go at me for staying out there yeah. but um no i think whatever you do and especially in life people some people are going to have some opinions but at the end of the day, I was pretty happy with my decision to to get off that field because uh, it would have been we might have been sitting here talking about something else and maybe my um, sponsorship with a nappy brand or something <laughs> like that. You don't you don't really strike me as somebody who cares that much what those people were saying. So like when you Alan Border, former Australian captain, great one of the greats of the game. When he's saying that, do you, did you care? A little bit, like yeah. um, this is one of the, the greats of Australian cricket. He was captain, um, but it's such a ridiculous thing to say. But I was, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm just happy I got to the toilet. To be honest with you, <laughs> that's the name of this episode. <laughs> um, fantastic. So also, I mean, 
let's pay a bit of credit to that knock to start with, which was what, 64? So you top scored in the first innings of one of Australia's greatest ever overseas wins, which must be, and I mean, like, I guess the thing is, so, so that, that tour, it felt like you were staying out there for a lot of time, quite a lot of time. Uh, and that you maybe got a bit of reputation as like a, a grafter throughout your innings, but then there have been occasions. So you scored, what, a triple hundred in a grade cricket game last year and you got a hundred before lunch against Yorkshire. I guess the question is sort of two things. Like, do you see yourself as a grafter? And also what makes you kind of flick the switch? Like against, say that game against Yorkshire, was it just one shot that came off the bat? Like how, why do you suddenly feel you can just like basically hit every ball for four or six? Um, I think I probably see myself as a grafter um, in the last few years playing a bit more one day and, and 2020 cricket that's when I started becoming a bit more confident with my game of, of playing some shots but now the one against Yorkshire last year I think the week before we had um, James Hildreth had scored 100 and, and he played a few shots and, and I sort of was like okay maybe this is like the best way to go and I was batting with him at the time actually and I was sort of like should we just start playing some shots because it's, it's n- like nibbling around loads and we're not sure if like if we block one we might nick that one so may as well die trying really and and it sort of just came off and I got a bit lucky here and there but um no it was it was just a weird sort of day that one I, I don't I don't think I'd be able to recreate it rest of my career is playing more white ball cricket an aspiration so you've only played 10 t20 games looking at it today is, is that something you want to do more and more of yeah definitely um i really enjoyed my um stint with the big bash in the brisbane heat this year um playing a few more games and and learning a lot more it's it's been sort of i, I it was weird when i was in the test side and i wasn't with a 20 a big bash side at all which was everyone was sort of like oh that's that's strange but um no, it's the way cricket's going a little bit and, and to be able to have the opportunity, like you talk to guys who go to the IPL, if if I could go to the IPL and, and you talk the guys they play with there is, is something that would be a, a great opportunity to do as well. Do you think that the fact that you, you've got this reputation as this excellent red ball opener who grafts, that almost hinders uh, your reputation in white ball cricket, even though you are capable of being destructive when you want to be? I think it has in the past. Um, it's probably changing a little bit now that I'm playing a bit more white ball cricket and, and people are seeing me a, a little bit in that in that format. But no, I think in the when I was a bit younger, everyone was sort of, oh, you can only sort of go in that one gear, but I'd get to 100 and I'd, just, I'd, I'd obviously be feeling pretty good at 100 that I could start scoring quite quickly after that. And I guess on, on that, that Yorkshire 100, I mean... Just how challenging were those conditions? Because you're a guy's what bad for ten hours in Test cricket again in that hundred against Pakistan, and to have to sort of go away from your natural game because it's just so tough to bat is like I guess how tough was it? And have you seen anything like that before or since? Yeah, I think you you see it over here quite a lot, and and sometimes that's the the way to go. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes go the other way and and try and defend a lot more than than what you play a shot, but um. It just seemed to sort of all come into to fruition that day and and work. But another day, I'm I'm getting out first ball trying to or getting out for a low score trying to play one of those shots. And I think it's just one of those things with cricket is is so luck to luck driven. Um, let's talk about the IPL. The IPL is finally over. It feels like an age since we started talking about it on the podcast, like literally two months ago. Um, both the men's and the women's finals went down to the last ball. In the women's final, Harman Breetcourt scored 51 to set the Supernovas up for a last ball victory over Velocity. Um, but Ben, 
the round robin game between Velocity and the Trailblazers caught your attention too. It's quite interesting. Yeah, so it was just just three teams in the tournament of three, so three team round robin. The the Trailblazers needed 117, I think, to get their net run rate high enough that they would uh, get into the final, and so basically cruel to that didn't really try and chase the target yeah so that's the main point they didn't actually try to win they just accepted that the net run rate target was all they needed to qualify and they were chasing 143 i think so it wasn't outside the realms of possibility and then they ended up three wickets down and they were basically on the rate as well up until danny wyatt's dismissal it's 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 an interesting one because i feel like if this was like if, if if it was men's cricket uh and a team played for the net run rate that they knew would guarantee them a place in the final we wouldn't even question it and i think we would well i think I mean, okay, I, I don't think I would question it uh, personally. Whereas in this instance, I feel not, I don't know if, I, if they've done the wrong thing. It's just slightly just disappointing, I think. Uh, not not disappointing with the players, it's just disappointing that it had to come to this. Maybe it's a flaw in the tournament structure or in the way of deciding between two teams. But just so, Mitali Raj said something about how this was their chance to sort of attract eyeballs and get attention to the game. And for the fans who went there, to see a team doing that it's it, it it's not it's i mean it's not it's not hugely damaging for the game and maybe it's for the women's game it's good that it gets sort of more professional and, and cutthroat but i think there's something of an opportunity missed there but it shows that they're taking the competition as seriously as possible they're not doing it because oh it's an exhibition let's do this for a bit of good pr yeah they're doing this, this is an actual cricket competition they want to win yeah yeah that that, that that's true I, I guess i guess you you wonder i mean i, I think like a lot of cricket players are maybe waking up to the fact that they have a duty to entertain as well as to win games I think England have been quite I think England men's team and the women's team have been upfront about the fact that they have got to recapture maybe the, the the younger generation and to do that they've got to play exciting cricket and that sometimes you've got to maybe go a bit more exciting maybe maybe that risks the results slightly more um, I mean, we've got a professional cricketer here have you ever thought I've got a duty to entertain or are you generally just focused on winning I think it sort of comes in in both sort of come together. Like if you're if you're trying to win, generally uh, you're entertaining. Um, I'd, I've I've never heard of that. Like you you try not to to win a game. To you obviously want to try and win every game you play. Well, I, personally, I do. I don't want to go and play and lose. But you don't really see the the score that you need for a run rate. Like obviously run rates come into it in a lot of competitions, but the the run rate's always like, oh, you need to chase like 180 and 11 overs or something like that to yeah. just sort of qualify. It's never, oh, you need to get 113 in, in 20 overs. It's all like, oh, okay. Like, but I can, I can see why, why they wouldn't make sure that they qualified for the final and then mm. like make sure you qualify and then try and win it. But no, I think... You, you sort of have that sort of entertain and win in, in the sort of same compass. Um, talking about entertainment, the men's final was an epic. Chennai Super Kings needed two to win off the last ball and then Lassith Malinga, was the, well, he was the bowler and he bowled a trademark slow ball Yorker to trap Shardul Thacker in front, meaning that the Mumbai Indians won by one run. I was quite interested by, and I got quite a lot of stick for this on Twitter for saying it. So I think MS Dhoni, who scored two off eight, in the final, they lost by one run. Him scoring two of eight was essentially a match losing innings. No one doubts his ability as a finisher. There have been few better in the history of the game. But when you start so slowly, so regularly, there is always a danger that you might get out and leave your team in a bit of a hole. Um, he's very happy to eat up a few dot balls. Is it 
arrogance? Does he just back himself to know that he knowing that he can make the runs up later? Or is it that he genuinely can't milk singles that easily? Well, for me, yesterday, I think Mumbainian's bowled really, really well. I think, I think yesterday that was the case. And I think, so you've obviously been uh, banging on this drum for, for quite a long time. And, yeah. and I, I have been with you. And I think he's answered quite a lot of the questions. So he, he had a brilliant season. I think he was averaging... Like like 80s, 80s, yeah. 80s, yeah. Uh, and I, so I can't so, criticise him too much. Yeah, I, I feel like that there is perhaps an argument to be made, but I still think he's probably the best option. And I don't think it's ever arrogance. I think it is perhaps uh, an inability sometimes to rotate the strike, or sometimes we just give some some credit to to the bowlers and to a brilliant bowling attack with some young, uncapped, exciting Indian players and Jasper Brummer, who is amazing. He's I, so good, isn't he? For, for me, what was a really lovely moment in that final was the last ball of the 19th over was uh, uh, he bowled a bouncer that went, uh, like the batsman missed it and Decock missed it behind the stumps and went for four runs. And so at that point, or four buys, at that point they needed nine to win. So you think that's yeah. like a game-turning moment. And Brummer's just like all smiles, goes to Decock, puts an arm around her shoulder. Like not, not even like a consoling arm, just like it doesn't matter, it's just a game sort yeah. of thing. It, it, was just, it was just really lovely to see. And the he, spirit you know, of cricket, eh? Yeah, the spirit, spirit of, of cricket. Um, do, do you want to know my moment of the week? Oh yeah, okay, go for it. It was just watching Mason Crane bowl yesterday. Um, he's had a very difficult 18 months since making his test debut and he, he was bowling brilliantly. And I hate to compare two leg, leg spinners, but having watched Crane and Parkinson bowl in the same game, I thought... Crane is so so much more exciting, I think. The way he attacks the crease with a lot more pace. He was great. So when you made your test debut, Matt, um, one of the things talked most about in England wasn't the fact that you're a 20-year-old classical opening batsman making his test debut. It was the fact that you're born in England. Um, so you were born in Middlesbrough, right? Yeah. And you lived... Hence Newcastle fan. Hence yeah. Newcastle fan. And, you've, and you lived your first, what, six years in England? Yeah, my first seven years. So I lived for, in Middlesbrough for five years. Yeah. And then Sheffield for two years. Where your family got to know the roots? Yeah. That must be... Are you in touch with them at all? A um, bit more with Bill. Obviously, Joe's a bit more high profile and, yeah. and quite busy. But um, no, we've had um, Bill come out to Australia, play club cricket in Australia at my club a couple of times. And, and he stayed at, stayed at our place. Obviously, your your Middlesbrough accent didn't survive the trip across to Australia. Um, I was wondering, how, how's your Yorkshire accent today? If you could do a Yorkshire accent, I can't do accents. So if, no. if, if Ben did one first, and then you yeah, followed, so I was going to have to do one. Yeah. So <laughs> right, we'll all do it. So Ben, could you please say, "My grandma could play that with a stick of rhubarb." My grandma couldn't do that with a stick of rhubarb. Is that Yorkshire? That'll do. I mean, it can't, it can't be much worse than that. Jeez, I'm. <laughs> pressure I'd rather face a new ball um, <laughs> I just need I'm trying to think I'll, I'll give when I think accents I think of Game of Thrones if I have to do a normal yeah there's a Jon Snow accent Jon Snow um, <laughs> grandma could nip that with a stick of rhubarb that's much better than Ben well done well done a true yes. Yorkshireman <laughs> uh, me my grandma could nip that with a stick of rhubarb it's not that, mad that's yeah. pretty good well, well um, um, I actually have a semi-serious <laughs> point on the the like I guess having been born in England and going to Australia because I mean I guess in England we feel like we're constantly kind of having crises of sort of national identity and like whenever anyone from South Korea is saying that Joffre Archer whenever, whenever we do a tweet about Joffre Archer there'll be a reply and we will say English fast bowler Joffre Archer some will say he's not he's not English and Jonathan tries the same they'll say oh it's a shame he's South African born or whatever was there was there any of that in Australia or do you think it's a 
peculiarly English thing? Was there no, I think whenever whenever my name was mentioned, or it probably still is, um, it always says English born, um, which I can't control where I was born. I can't control that my mum and dad decided to move to Australia when I was um, young, but I'm like, it, it's obviously hard, like having if you come a bit later when I was young and, and there's guys in the in the Queensland set up like Marnus Labuschagne who was born in South Africa and he moved when he was quite young as well but we like it's it's something you just can't really control and do, do the fans ever is it something that they that they say that they raise do you, do you see it on Twitter on that sort of thing no no it's, it's to be honest it's probably more my mates who say some stuff like <laughs> that or, or the guys over here like um, I know Mitch Clayton he playing for Kent he's um was born in Australia and, and grew up there and and so he sort of likes to pick and choose when he's English and when he's Australian and I think that's quite funny is, is there any part of you that felt English when you were 20 and you were get winning your first Australia call up no not not when I was that old no when I was younger and obviously mum and dad and, and my sister are all English as well they've got pretty strong accents and then there's me um it's quite a it's quite a weird sort of thing thinking about playing for Australia, but then you you start playing and meeting some of the guys. You're you're definitely and you're definitely Australian. I mean, you've lived almost your entire memorable life in Australia. So yeah, yeah I've I've, I've lived yeah. more in Australia than anywhere. I lived in New Zealand for four years as well, so um, couldn't quite get the New Zealand um, passport, but got had an accent at one point, which was awful. We won't ask you to do that no, one. No, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> a, a serious question. Um, I was looking this up today, and you're, you're the holder of quite an impressive stat. You have more test runs for Australia than anyone who's ever played the game before the age of 21. More than Bradman, more than Ponty, more than all 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 of the all of the great names. So my question is: being uh, when you were 20, 21, and doing so well when you first got on the side. And getting people talking about you as if, oh, this guy's going to play for Australia for the next 15 years, almost as a given. What was that like hearing when you were still a young guy just working out your own game? Yeah, part of me was sort of just like, oh, just wait, I'm going to start nicking off soon. (laughs) Um, But obviously when you... I had a pretty good run there and and that was nice to, to be able to do that. But you you know cricket's such a, a fickle game that you could be you could be in, out of the side in six months and I was at that point. Um but no, it was it was sort of a, a different experience as as a twenty, twenty one year old than what I feel other people have had and, and that's probably made me have to mature quite quickly compared to what, say, my, my mates away from the professional cricket scene is and and i think that's it's quite tough sometimes seeing them and going geez you're you're immature but i was literally them three years ago as well probably even more Mm. more immature than them but then there's times where you can just sort of let let the hair down and and have a have a lot of fun with your other mates and when you go through a lean spell do you find that almost having had such a good start makes it not hard to do from the personal point of view but like the the media will be like sort of almost they're, they're more focused on it. I think Ben Duckett's something similar that like once you get a national call up then when you come back to county cricket you're expected to score runs basically every time. Was that something you struggled with at all? Or Yeah, a little bit. Um, I remember I was speaking to Alistair Cook last year about it, um, about what the difference between, like we had a long chat about it all and the difference between county cricket and test cricket and he said as soon as you make your test debut, he's, he compares it, you know, the BBC Sport like box and it tells you who who's doing well in yeah. the county wrap-up your name is always in there once you play it play a test and so i think that your name is always going to be there or thereabouts if you've had a 
had a go and and that's probably the hard part whereas you can't just slip under the radar like how I came into the side and sort of get in that way you you're always going to be your name's always going to be up there yeah it's like your name before your name pops up when you do really well and now your name pops up every time which cricket most of the time is yeah getting a low score yeah uh, what, what, what else you talked about us talk about just about his experiences with batting and and his experiences growing up obviously coming starting in a different time he's i'm starting where there's media is a lot more um higher profile whereas the media back then was sort of just covering the games and all that sort of thing and and then just about batting and and how he approaches a, a game or a series or something like that and and just trying to take a few little things from him he's obviously such a such a great cricketer still to to this day in, in my opinion yeah, and I'm right thinking you, you delayed your flight home. So you, you, you're, you, you, do you get an injury when you're playing Somerset? And yeah, then I, I broke my finger the day before the Surrey game. Yeah. Uh, played that game and without knowing it was broken, um, had an X-ray and and Cricket Australia wanted me to fly home and and I didn't have any mode of transport. I was on the team bus with the with the guys and and so we were going to Essex straight from Surrey and I sort of looked looked to see if Cook was going to play and. I was like, okay, um, there's a there's an opportunity here for me to have a a, a chat with him. It, I think it was probably I'd go home and and just sit down really. And so I was like, okay, we'll book the flights, but I want to have a couple of days in in Essex and talk to him as well. Yeah, do you think do, do would you describe yourself as a bit of a a badger? Do you think you think about your own game really deeply? Or? Um, I I can be I can be completely the opposite and not think about cricket at all. But I think most of the time it's it's thinking about cricket and and working out ways. Obviously, it it comes a bit more if you if you're not scoring runs and you're in the spotlight. At at one point, I think I've, I'd finish a game of cricket, not scoring any runs, come home and just sit on Twitter and just read everything. And and that I I probably wasn't in a great mental state at that point. And I remember my, my girlfriend, we were watching a movie or something and she just grabbed my phone and just took it upstairs and, and came back down. It should, I was just sitting on there reading everything. And I think that was one of the things he, he said he doesn't read any of that sort of thing, which is, is great. That's really interesting because Ben Duckett, when he was on, he said something very similar. I, I asked him the same question. What, why are you on social media then if it is that toxic? I think, um, so I, I was very close to deleting everything um, at the start of the, uh, at the end of last year. I was sort of just at a stage where I was like, I just want to delete everything, like, here and keep probably my I've got a private Facebook keep that and and so I can use it to talk to my mates but I think the the value of it is 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 pretty significant that you can reach out a a fair fairly big group of of people and and supporters that probably you wouldn't be able to do in like back in the days you probably had to put a newspaper article to to reach mm. people but um no I think with it's hard because with Twitter, it's because it's all your personal things. Because I'm such a cricket, I'd say cricket badger. I'm getting loads of cricket stuff, and there's going to be something about me here and there. And if I'm doing well, I feel like I have to read it. I like you want to read stuff that's written about you that's good because like it makes you feel good. And then because I was reading the good stuff, I'd get a bad article and I'd be like, okay, like I want to read this because I'm reading, I felt I had to read the bad stuff because I was reading the good stuff. What's it like reading about your own innings and stuff? Because sometimes cricket writers will attribute some sort of narrative that could be complete crap, basically, about how you've overcome this lean spell or whatever and how you finally cracked it. Was for you actually on the pitch, you know, you just... We're, we're batting better and not there's not this narrative behind it that was that weird yeah do you ever just read something and go that's bollocks yeah basically. there's a there's been a few times where that's happened and uh, sometimes it's like 
he gets caught at cover and it's like I got caught at like third slip or something like that. It's like, have you even watched the game? And they're like <laughs> describing how I looked terrible when I was batting and then they tell me how I got out was completely wrong. And then you're just like, okay, like... But I, I experienced it probably like as a supporter of other sports. You read things and you're like, okay, that's what happened. You sort of take that as gospel and then you it happens to you and you're like, well, that's not right. Maybe some other things that you read about other sports are wrong as well. Do you still read articles about you? Here and there. Um, if it's not about cricket, I'll, I'll read it. Like if it's something about if I've done an interview with someone and I want to see what they've written about me because obviously there's quotes, but you you want to see what else they've written about you. But if it's anything to do with like how I went during a match, I'll try to try to avoid it. But here and there, you've got to, you you read them as well. Yeah, just having heard what you and what Duckett said a few weeks ago, if I was a cricket player, I would one hundred percent not have Twitter. Yeah, the other ones, Facebook and Instagram, I would still have, but Twitter is so toxic. Yeah, I actually deleted at last end of I think so. The Shield seasons five, six games and five four games. I think by the second game last year, I deleted my Twitter, uh, the app. I deleted the mm. app and the Cricket Australia, like the ECB app, the Cricket Australia app. Mm. And just because every night I'd be sitting there watching all the, like, because all the games are going on, why don't you watch all the wickets and then you watch all the run, like highlights and you just get caught up in, in living on this phone that you just keep staring at when you need to not think about the game. Um. Matt, we've been quite rude. We've not asked Ben about his moment of the week. <laughs> ben, Ben, what is your moment of the week? So, well, I don't know if my moment of the week is Sanamir's spell or the, the final tie. It probably is the tie. So, probably the tie. So, South Africa and Pakistan women played an ODI series in South Africa. Uh, and the first game, uh, Pakistan bowled them out, what, for 60? Something like that. And they yeah. won with 38 overs spare. Yeah, so Pakistan's biggest ever win. Uh, like the second last host they bowled someone out for. Uh, and then the last game, it kind of looked so. South Africa made two two fifty six, I think, and it would have uh, Pakistan's record ever chase if they got there. And so you kind of just think, I mean, South Africa have a brilliant bowling they're never going to get there, and they almost did. Basically, they uh, it was a tie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and I mean, uh, I think that the, the thing that really stuck out for me about that game, well, firstly, uh, Javeria Khan is absolutely brilliant and is going to be a, a superstar, and is the kind of player that, like, because I mean, the the nature of of cricket in general but women's cricket is that like it can just be a couple of performances like in that in the world t20 if they had just won like one more game they probably would have been in the in the semi-finals and she's the kind of player that could kind of get them into a, a knockout stage at some point and it looks like they'll potentially automatically qualify for the for the next world cup yes well because uh last time around india uh forfeited their three-match series against them in the championship and if they do that again they will be very, very close to, to qualifying. But I think, yeah, the other thing about the game was just to see Nashra Sandu at number 11 coming in and hit, hitting a six. Like, you don't get that many sixes from tail enders in, in, in women's cricket. So you just kind of assume the game was gone when the rate got above two balls. So it was, it was an astonishing game. And I guess just a, a word for Sanamir, who's now the, the leading wicket-taking spinner in women's ODIs and has been there since the start as, like, a, an, an inspiration. And uh, quite quite it's quite a... a good time for them to perform well as well Shahid Afridi is extracts from his biography and he's saying the ridiculous that, uh, book by all the just judging from the extracts coming out yeah he's saying that he wouldn't wouldn't let his daughters play any sport outside and uh I think Paxton women are showing what what what, <laughs> what crap that is basically yeah yeah, yeah. Um, um elsewhere in in the world of cricket this week um Scotland were robbed yet again by the weather uh Scotland played Afghanistan and they lost by two runs on the Duckworth Lewis Stern method, 
Um, it's one, one of those games where you actually think that, although I wouldn't say the method is wrong, but you think in that scenario, Scotland were probably on top. Well, yeah, I mean... It's they just a, got Shaw out, didn't they, who got 100 for Afghanistan. Yeah, and partly like the nature of, of Afghanistan seem that they're a very, very good one-day side, but normally bowler heavy and they, they have batsmen you can bat through maybe not the ones that can mm. they can hit big at the end so I thought I thought I thought the rate was slightly beyond them but I also thought DLS would be slightly in their favour it was a, it was a weird one but yeah Scotland Scotland and Shea Robin Callum McLeod again scorched another 100 he just it's 830 100 yeah keeps keeps rattling them off um, against good teams as well yeah he had a Warwickshire contract a while ago and now doesn't have a county contract I guess which is an odd one you'd think someone would would want to sign him Kent, up Kent sign him up yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's superb um, some podcast related news before we finish uh number one there will be a wisdom club cricket special podcast coming out later this week hosted by the club cricket editor of wisdom cricket monthly rich evans on all the big issues in the amateur game there'll be six club cricket specials spread across the summer so stay tuned for them um and now some really exciting news really really exciting news world cup's three weeks away we're going daily. There's going to be a daily Wisdom podcast. Um, we'll have an exciting array of guests. We'll be on the road. Have the odd live show. So don't just tell your friends about it. Shout from the rooftops. Um, Matt, it's been great having you on the show today. Really enjoyed it. That story you said earlier, that's going to live long in the memory. Thank you for having me. Cheers. It's been great. And Ben, thanks as ever for coming on. Thanks, yes. Cheers for listening, folks. If you enjoyed the pod, share it on the internet. Goodbye. See you next week. Podcast Network.